Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip, two sides of a coin. Let's get it. Trey, we have a regular coin this week. Heads or tails? Give me heads. It's heads. All right. All right. Give me the ball then. Ball's coming your way. Uh, Packers are allegedly trying to pry Darren Waller from the grasps of the Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr hates the idea, but I think it's a fun thought. Currently, keep trade cut has Darren Waller at tight end six, rounding out that top tier of tight ends. So even with that news on the table, Waller isn't exactly in a bad situation. Are you buying or selling Waller right now, Trey? Uh, so buying or selling him as tight end six overall, uh, it, it's tough because he was really unreliable uh, for the latter half of last year. I don't think that Green Bay is necessarily an upgrade. Like I think that, you know, just looking at Aaron Rodgers over the course of his career, he's never really been somebody to feature the tight end all that much. So I'm kind of selling Darren Waller at tight end six overall, just because I like some of the upside of uh, some of the other guys in that range. But it's hard to sell a guy who, you know, over the last few years has been one of the very few uh, top end tight end talents in the league. So it's a it's a slight sell for me. Tarek, tell me you're buying. Yeah, Trey, we've been uh, chasing that 800 yard and eight touchdown season from uh, Jermichael Finley uh-huh. back in 2011 for a really long time. Uh, so, yeah, if, and if you think about it now, like 800 yards and eight touchdowns, that's like a mid range tight end one season in, in today's NFL. Right. So we've been chasing it for a long time. But I mean, I I have uh, Darren Waller rated as my tight end six. Uh, I have Dallas Goddard ahead of him at tight end five. I think a lot of people probably have TJ Hawkinson ahead of him there uh, in, in the marketplace. Um, so, you know, if I can get Dallas Goddard and a nice little piece on top of Darren Waller, then I would be selling. Um, but yeah, I mean, what he's turning 30, right? So mm-hmm. I, he's 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 got a couple years left. I mean, he's 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 a tight end. They usually age a little bit better than other positions. So I, I don't necessarily hate it at cost, but I think that that's a fair value for him. I mean, selling if if I can kind of pivot off to a Goddard or a Hawkinson and get something on top, I guess. I like to think about how high up the charts Waller would go in redraft, though, if he got traded to the Packers. Like, I think that he honestly would be going like tight end two or three in redraft. Maybe that'd be dumb. He would he would certainly pick up. Yeah, he would pick up steam for sure. There would be a lot of like, oh, you know, Darren Waller is the arbitrage tight end mm-hmm. that you want, you know, in the fifth round or something like that uh, or fourth round. I, I don't know. I'm not tuned in to redraft or, or best ball at this point in time. But yeah, I, I agree with Trey. I don't think that would be smart. Right. I, I think like what we've seen from Green Bay is that they're really efficient, but they're also a really low volume passing attack. Uh, they're probably going to draft some receivers. I mean, maybe Darren Waller would come in there and be the number one option. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think Aaron Rodgers likes to rely on his guys on the outside that are going to run the right routes. And I don't I don't know if that's Darren Waller. It could be, you know, I'm, I'm telling you right now, they're going to trade for Waller and they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round just just to piss off Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> who's who's this year's Jordan Love? Is it Desmond Ritter? I think so. He he can make a good Packer. 
What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome in to the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benchuya. With me today, Trey Cryan and Mitch Yates. Uh, John is is at a meeting or something, so he couldn't he couldn't make it to this less important meeting, I suppose. Uh, but that's okay, you know. We soldier on, and uh, yeah. So Trey, what's going on, man? Not too much. Just uh, really, really excited that we're finally going to get this uh, NFL draft in uh, kicking off Thursday night. So I guess that'll be today by the time the uh, listeners are listening into this pod. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a crazy first round. It feels like a lot of the NFL draft is really up in the air this year. Like I don't really have a really strong feelings about how the top 10 is going to shape out. So it kind of feels like anything could go this year. Yeah, it is. At, even like we have no idea like what the top two or three picks are usually are going to be. And we usually kind of have some idea of how the first handful of picks are going to go. So this year, definitely up in the air and I'm definitely ready to end the speculation. So I agree with you, Trey. Mitch, what's going on with you, man? What's up? I feel like this process really flew by this year, though. And this is probably the most excited I've been for like the first round of an NFL draft in a while, just because seriously, like, like you guys are saying, everything's so up in the air. So it's going to be a good, what, three hour block of television? Or is it longer than that? I don't know. I mean, they stretch it out as, as long as possible. They they take the full, what is it on, on day one? Is it like, is it five or 10 minute clocks? I don't remember. I thought it was 10. I'm pretty sure it's 10 plus. Yeah. D- day one. Yeah. They stretch it out for a long time. All There is also going to be game six of the Dallas Mavericks oh, playing the Utah Jazz uh, with a three two lead. So I'm going to be juggling between those two things because as many of our listeners know, I am a massive Mavericks stan. But basketball aside, uh, before we kind of jump into the meat of this episode, which we're going to be talking about landing spots ahead of the draft this weekend. Big news of the week, uh, as we usually do in the intro to this show. The biggest news was uh, yesterday, Melvin Gordon re-signing with the Denver Broncos on a one-year, $5 million contract. So we were waiting for the Melvin Gordon news to drop. You know, there were some rumblings that he could go to Baltimore. He at least had a visit there. Ultimately, decides to re-up one year at the Denver Broncos. So, you know, the the main question is, what does this do for our expectations of Javante Williams, both from a production sense in the short term and from a value sense in the kind of longer dynasty game, right? Uh, Mitch, what do you think about this? I think that the Twitter world has been driving me absolutely crazy about this, acting all devastated that Melvin Gordon re-signed. Like, Javante Williams is the starting running back there, and he was when they gave Melvin Gordon the opportunity to look elsewhere for another job. Uh, Javante Williams is going to be the starting running back for the Denver Broncos next year, and for the rest of the time that he is that starting running back, he's going to have backups or two. So some of these backups are going to take more touches than others, and in this case, I think we can expect Melvin Gordon to take Uh, like 40%, which definitely is more than just a backup. He's going to be the second guy in that committee. 
But let's not forget that it's an 18-game season and Melvin Gordon is 29. So all I'm saying is if you got a guy like Javante Williams ranked in the top five or up to the top two in Dynasty, and the team signs a 29-year-old running back to join that committee on a one-year deal, I don't see how that can shake you. You can't be shook after that. So honestly, I'd be more upset if the Broncos drafted a running back with some early draft capital. Yeah, it's an 18-week season, 18 or 17 games, right? But uh, yeah, I do think that, you know, there's cause for concern. You know, this is a guy that knows the system and he's proven that he can be really effective in the system. And yeah, he's he's going to get anywhere from 30 to 40% of the carries in that offense, which it does mean that Javante Williams upside is capped compared to if you were betting on him being the lone guy or the main guy in that backfield for the majority of the year, right? So I... I, I do think it's a slight ding on his upside, but I do also think with this new coaching staff, you know, this is uh, Nathaniel Hackett, right? Like the former Green Bay offensive coordinator. We've seen him employ a two-back system uh, as, you know, frustrating fantasy owners uh, for a long time, you know, thinking back to like the Jamal Williams versus Aaron Jones discussions of a few years ago. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm not really too, too surprised they brought in Gordon back uh, I think this is probably something that we should have expected, you know, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe the the price on Javante Williams has been a little bit overheated for the past uh, few weeks. And, uh, you know, this is probably just a good heat check. Yeah, Trey, I think that's what makes me so irritated about the situation is that I feel like Melvin Gordon resigning should have been baked in to right. Javante Williams rankings. Like it was more a probability than a possibility. I think when what we have to delineate here and why I kind of frame the conversation like this is like expected production and value, right? So what I expected, I kind of, I had a tweet a couple months ago. I was like, I'm like 60 to 70% sure that Melvin Gordon is going to resign in Denver. So I expected that to happen with a reasonable amount of certainty And with that, I expected that instead of like the uncanny 50-50 split of last year, like literally Melvin Gordon had 203 rushes, Javante Williams had 203 rushes. Like (laughs) they had a true 50-50 split. What I expected this year was that Javante Williams was going to take about 60%, 65%. And because of that, I actually began the offseason with Javante Williams as my running back eight. And he's moved up in the interim to my running back five, and he's kind of knocking at Austin Eckler's door for running back four. Because, yeah, he's going to be part of a committee like most running backs are, right? DeAndre Swift, who's my running back three, is in a committee, right? He's going to be part of a committee, but he's also, he literally just turned 22 two days ago. He's very young. He's demonstrably good on an NFL field. So his, his value to me, moved up, but it didn't move all the way up to where market was because unlike the market that had him at running back to, that market is the one that expected that Melvin Gordon was going to move on, right? And I think that is where, you know, not only we should have expected Melvin Gordon to re-sign, but also maybe at the same time, we maybe on TLG should have been encouraging our listeners to sell Javante Williams at clear running back two prices, mm-hmm. right? 
and my only share of running of uh, Javante Williams, I actually sold him to John for Austin Eckler and 111 in this class. So my actions were like, I want to sell Javante Williams at this price. But I, I, you know, I should have, I wish I would have encouraged that more to our listeners, right? I heard other people like Josh Larkey and Ray GQ saying that as well. So I wish I kind of would have parroted that on here because I do truly feel like his value was overinflated. Yeah, I, I wish I did too. I wish I was able to articulate it in real time, but I, I think I didn't because I was really just finding dead end trade offers with Javante. Nobody's willing to pay the price that I wanted for him. So right. for me, it was kind of just like a non non topic and it really shouldn't have been. Yeah, right. I mean, I think like if you I, I, I was looking at the DLF trade finder earlier today, I saw things like um, Saquon Barkley in a 2023 first for Javante Williams, right? I paid a late 20 or I got a late 22 first in addition to Austin Eckler. Mm-hmm. I think you could have gotten maybe DeAndre Swift in like a late second or something, which is something that I think any most people would do today uh, that maybe it would have been kind of more on the fence a week ago, right? So I, I just think we probably should have sold him for that tier of running back plus, and, and that's a little bit less possible now what i will say though trey let me let me posit this uh this possible scenario to you let's say Brees hall goes to a place like buffalo or like uh atlanta or houston where we know he's going to get a lot of work if he lands there would you rather have javante williams in that situation or Brees hall oh man that's tough i i think there's you could argue that uh Brees hall is a better prospect than Javante Williams was a year ago. But what we've seen already in the NFL is Javante Williams be very effective and and really efficient with, you know, limited touches last year in that 50-50 split. So you've got a known com- commodity in Javante Williams who's going to be stuck in a little bit of a timeshare who's only, you know, a 29-year-old running back injury away from being like that no doubt RB1 starter like week in week out. So Maybe this is a floor play, but I like the known commodity of Javante Williams over a little bit more of the unknown of Brees Hall, even though I do love Brees Hall as a prospect. Mitch, same question. Yeah, I, I take Javante Williams, and there's no hesitation there. Like I wasn't scared off of the Melvin Gordon thing like a couple minutes ago. Still, still feel the same way. <laughs> um, now, at the same time, is is Brees older than Javante Williams? No, he's he's about a year younger. Okay, yeah. so yeah. he's got that youth too. And like, honestly, it's it's still pretty close. Like, I'm going to be right. really happy with either guy. So it's not like Javante Williams is like leagues ahead. But uh, like Trey said, I, I like the known commodity in that I've seen him do it in the NFL. And right. so, yeah, I, I'm there with you. Well, just right now, looking at my ranks, I've got Javante Williams at five and he's been locked in there for the last few months. I've got Eckler at six and Barkley at seven. So I, I see Brees Hall on Atlanta or Brees Hall on Buffalo kind of sliding into that range, probably at six, probably right ahead of Eckler. Right. Yeah. I think the reason I asked the question is because Mason Dodd on Twitter, I forgot his at, but he asked the question, Javante Williams or Brees Hall. And almost all of the comments, the responses were actually on the Brees Hall side. Right. And I'm on the Javante Williams side. I'm like, yeah. Brees Hall's either going to land in a really good offense where he's part of a committee. And I, I include Buffalo in that like Devin Singletary's he's not going to just go away. Right. 
or he's going to land in a bad offense where he gets a lot of volume like Houston or Atlanta, et cetera. And I think in both of those situations, I'd probably take Javante Williams, but especially if he goes to Buffalo and I can get Javante Williams like plus a late Mm -hmm. second or Mm -hmm. something like that, I'd be cashing in on that all day, you know? And, And I think it's possible with how much, if he goes to Buffalo, the hype cycle that Brees Hall is going to go through. Oh God, that rookie fever is going to be through the roof. It sounds like it already is. Yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about landing spots uh, right now because on today's show, uh, we're talking about possible landing spots for the different positions ahead of tomorrow's NFL draft. And it'll be today when you're listening, the first round. So going through these four primary positions relevant for Dynasty We're going to discuss the best and, you know, some of the worst landing spots that are likely to draft these players. And in order to kind of keep this relevant for listeners that may be tuning in after day one or maybe even early next week, we kind of want to focus the conversation around how a pedigreed position player coming in from the draft would affect the existing players on the team's roster and kind of the offensive infrastructure as a whole. That way, you know, our reactions post-draft, they're already tempered by expectation and we've kind of had this priming conversation beforehand. So we'll do our best to keep it high level. That doesn't mean that you can't speculate a little bit and be like, okay, well, if this receiver landed here, et cetera, I just, you know, we want to keep this episode relevant past, you know, the next 24 to 48 hours. So with that in mind, let's kick off this first half and we're going to talk about the wide receivers and the tight ends in this first half. So wide receiver. And I looked at uh, PFF. They have an article where they list each team's top three needs. And here are the teams that they listed for wide receiver as a top three positional need. Arizona, Detroit, Atlanta, New Jersey, Washington, Los Angeles Chargers, Bills, Chicago, Cleveland, Green Bay, Houston, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Kansas City, Minnesota, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Tennessee, End of list. And notice, like, I didn't even say Dallas or New England, and both of them are consistently mocked wide receivers in the first round or the first few rounds. So with the receiver market going bananas with these $30 million per year contracts and the influx of young talent coming in, obviously, we're going to see a lot of receivers drafted. So let's talk about those landing spots. Where do you want to see a receiver land? Trey, let's start with you. Yeah, I'll kick it off. So I'm going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs, which is a pretty obvious uh, destination for a top uh, receiver in this draft. I mean, obviously, Kansas City has the best actual quarterback in the NFL with Pat Mahomes, and they've got a really pass-friendly, pass-heavy system, and a giant Tyreek Hill-sized hole at the wide receiver spot, right? So they also let uh, Byron Pringle leave for Chicago. So there's plenty of uh, vacated targets there for a guy to step in and be an immediate contributor. They also have a lot of picks. They've got two first rounders, two seconds and two thirds. And those first round picks are at 29 and 30. So the end of the first round. Uh, So right now, I would say Juju Smith-Schuster and his 19.6% target share from last year is probably the best receiver in that offense, you know, ignoring tight end Travis Kelsey. And, you know, last season in Pittsburgh, yeah, I know Ben Roethlisberger was, you know, one foot out the door to retirement. But Juju had a really, really frustratingly inefficient year last year. 97 catches, 831 yards, 10 touchdowns, which was nice, but a really bad A dot at 5.5 yards and a really, really poor yards per out run at 1.32. 
Kansas City also added a questionable receiver in Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who I would say probably projects in like the 15 to 18% target share range. So neither one of those guys look like leaders in any offense in the NFL. Now, the thing is, is like these guys, to me, they play different positions, you know, like Juju is kind of like a big slot weapon, whereas MVS is more of like a deep threat, like field stretcher type, you know, so I think it's fair to say that if a big slot type receiver was drafted to Kansas City, then that would be really bad news for Juju, but it wouldn't really impact MVS. So like the big slot guys in this draft, obviously Traylon Burks, uh, but maybe even a guy like Drake London who got, you know, did quite a bit of work inside at uh, USC. Now, the alternative to that would be a guy like Jamison Williams. Like, I don't think he'll fall to Kansas City, but... I mean, he would immediately do everything or anything that MVS does, but significantly better, right? And Juju would probably be, for the most part, okay. So, you know, I think it depends a lot on the archetype of receiver that Kansas City could potentially go for. But then if you look at like maybe a more complimentary piece would potentially be like an X receiver, maybe somebody like George Pickens, who should be available there at the end of the first, or even like Christian Watson, who could be there in the second both of those guys look more like outside X type wide receivers to me. So just different types of weapons than uh, the free agents they brought in that are already on the roster. Yeah, it's interesting is I like what I wrote down was I kind of want to see a player because they have that Tyreek Hill sized hole that you mentioned. I kind of want to see a player that's really ready to come in and contribute right? More than a toolsy guy, right? So instead of like Christian Watson or George Pickens, I actually would get pretty excited about Jahan Dotson, uh, who's who I've seen mocked there, who's, you know, possibly going in that range. Uh, The other thing that we have to consider is the possibility of them trading up, right? And and getting a guy like Drake London or uh, something like that. so, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think Kansas City is a landing spot that any receiver that lands there is going to get vaulted up rookie draft boards. Right. So my question about that, and maybe I'll ask this to Mitch and I'm sure he has other comments, but like what happens if a guy like Dotson or Watson lands there? Right. And somebody we like more like sky Moore, or something like that goes to a less favorable position right is that going to be enough for us or for you to kind of make that flip like i'd rather have watson instead of this other player that i like more in the pre-draft process right okay so if it's close it might be the tiebreaker because mahomes is a nice tiebreaker but yeah i'm i'm not sure like it, it depends on draft caps so when I look at the Chiefs draft picks here, Trey mentioned they have pick 29 and pick 30. Uh, they also have pick 50 and pick 62. So uh, late second, early third. And so it depends to me where they take this wide receiver if they do. So if they take one in the first round, I now if you listen to the, uh, the series uh, earlier this month on wide receivers, I'm not very high on Jahan Dotson. But this would be a big deal for me if they took him in the first round, uh, him specifically, because he fits that Mahomes, like, I think they would complement each other nicely. So if we talk about receivers that are taken toolsy guys, like in the second, late second or third, 
they're not going to be going up my board at all. Interesting. Um, I don't think that's just because the the Chiefs have shown that they don't really like to spread it around. I think Juju and Kelsey would get the bulk, and I would be uh, less excited about like a Mikol Hardman type wide receiver. Yeah. Counterpoint, Trey. What if Jalen Tolbert, who we disrespectfully did not draft last week in our mock draft after you left us at halftime. That's a toolsy guy that's going to go on day two. Yeah, what if he lands there's, there? There's no freaking way I'm letting Mitch take Kyron Williams over uh, Jalen Tolbert on any team we're drafting together in the future, <laughs> for the record there. Uh, look, I think I think I want to try to pull something actionable out of this. And I know that we're yeah. like running out of time before the first draft starts, but I think Juju's a little bit overvalued at wide receiver 38. So it's not even a strong sell. But you might be able to act on this and flip them, uh, you know, kind of projecting that a guy like Dotson or Moore or somebody in that range kind of comes in and and would sort of take over as the lead wide receiver. I, I've got Juju and MVS actually a lot closer together than the market does. I have them both right at around wide receiver 50. I, I'd like to say I'd like to just add on that my expectation is that they do take a wide receiver in the first round. oh yeah like, yeah agree so i i don't think that the you know i know we're playing the situational game here like what if they don't what if they take one later but i think that it's a slam dunk to consider that they're going to take one so with that said uh i do think it's going to be one of the leftover wide receivers i mean the odds are the vegas odds are like seven wide receivers going in the first round so you know six and a half six and a half you know it uh so yeah, it's just going to be really interesting to see which guy it is, probably like a Pickens or mm -hmm. somebody like that. So, well, you know, if it's really half of a guy, it's probably like Calvin Austin or Wandale. Or Wandale. Yeah, I was going to say right, Wandale. Exactly. He might. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, great joke by me there. Uh, OK, so, yeah, took talked a while about Kansas City landing a receiver. We probably got to move a little bit faster through the rest of these landing spots but obviously you know kansas city that's the sexy landing spot every single year so mitch why don't you give us a wide receiver landing spot that you'd be excited about well i didn't write as much down so this might go a little quicker i'm going with uh old shy town chicago bears and uh i think it'd be an awesome spot for a wide receiver considering their current lineup of justin fields david montgomery darnell mooney and uh uh oh equinemia st brown byron pringle <laughs> no thanks uh, Cole Komet at tight end, that's fine, but uh, I, I think it's about time for this offense to take a wide receiver, and I'm all aboard this Justin Fields hype train, but that man needs some help, and the yeah. Bears don't have their first pick until pick 39, early second round, and uh, they also have pick 48, and honestly, that may be a perfect place to select a wide receiver, so like I mentioned, six and a half, seven wide receivers going in the first round. There is a world where that doesn't happen and one or two of these guys falls as well. So if they do, if one of these guys falls to 39 that the Bears are in love with or if they pull the trigger and trade up a little bit, uh, I, you know, I, I think that's going to get that situation boost for me. So Fields is going into this year two uh, with a new weapon and without Matt Nagy. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, agreed. I think uh, it, it's a really strong indication that middle of the second round Chicago should definitely be thinking wide receiver there and uh, I I don't think they have to move up either there's I think there's gonna be good talent like we've talked about the depth in this class and I mm -hmm. think you know that's a good situation where need meets opportunity for the Bears 
it's interesting because the big uh, impact there would be what would happen to Darnell Mooney. Now, Mooney is a guy who really broke out last year, kind of showed that they didn't need to make an effort to keep Allen Robinson on that roster. They let him go. I really like Mooney in my model just because of, you know, the uh, percentage of that offense that he commanded last year in his breakout second year in the league. But, you know, he's doesn't have draft capital attached to his name and this is a new regime coming in. So, you know, would a guy like, I don't know, say Pickens or Christian Watson goes to Chicago in the early second round Would that turf Mooney's value or could they both be, you know, functional assets going forward? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that would obviously depend on the progression of Justin Fields, right? I mean, what we did see from Justin Fields was a nice deep ball, some nice connection with Darnell Mooney. So I think like if he progresses and hopefully he's got a better shot of progressing um, with a new coaching staff than he did with Matt Nagy, I do think it it would not be a situation that I would be scared of, right? So I, I agree with Mitch here. If they get a receiver I like in the second round or even the third round, right? Like, honestly, if David Bell gets drafted yeah. to the Chicago Bears in the third round, I'd be pretty excited about David Bell there. I mean, I know the athleticism uh, was a wet fart at the combine and that's going to hurt his draft capital. But, you know, it only takes one team, right? So just as a possibility, right? If, if a receiver I like goes on day two to Chicago, it's not going to be a landing spot that I'm afraid of. I'll, I'll go ahead and give a landing spot here. Uh, I'll talk about um, New Orleans, which has two picks in the teens after they made that trade with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think it's uh, pretty much a guarantee, like a virtual guarantee that one of those picks is going to either be Jamison Williams or Chris Olave. Like, I think if Jamison Williams falls to New Orleans in that range, they're going to rush to take him. If not, I believe it's going to be Chris Olave. Um, that is if, you know, the uh, the Chargers or something doesn't snipe them, which is also possible. But, you know, Michael Thomas will be coming back. We'll have Jamis Winston at quarterback, who we know can fill up the stat sheet with a bunch of yards and touchdowns, as well as a bunch of interceptions. You know, I think Michael Thomas is a little bit undervalued by the market right now as kind of a, a, a just outside the top 36 wide receivers. Uh, I'm, I'm probably buying at that price. That being said, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the 30 to 34 percent target share guy he was back in 2018 and 2019. And, you know, I'm I'm not in on. Traquan Smith or, you no, know, Deontay Harris is kind of interesting or, or Deontay Hardy, I think his name is now. Um, he's kind of interesting. But yeah, there's obviously a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, I like that the offensive infrastructure of the Saints a lot. So yeah, uh, the Saints, that's that's one of the ones I'm going to be tracking really heavily on day one. Yeah. And it's it's not just the offensive infrastructure. It's the defensive infrastructure, too. This is a really, really good team overall. And they've got a good opportunity ahead of them to to be competitive in the NFC and, you know, make the playoffs as a wild card this year in the NFC South. So I'm actually kind of thinking, yes, New Orleans probably wants to get a quarterback, but they don't have to because they've got a good team around Jameis. And if, you know, the wheels fall off, then they'll have a high draft pick next year. But they might want to add some weapons for Jameis and really make a run for it this year. So, yeah, Williams or Olave. I don't really see that having a huge impact on Michael Thomas. I think there's like 
you know, Michael Thomas is going to get his, there's room for a rookie and that'll just kind of like crowd out maybe some of the other pass catchers. Like maybe that's really more of a bad sign for like Adam Troutman's uh, breakout that we're still waiting on. You know, Uh, the thing that really concerns me about New Orleans overall from a fantasy perspective is they just were a very, very low volume passing offense last year when Jameis was the starting quarterback for those, you know, first five weeks at the beginning of the season. So I just worry that they're going to try to run their offense and like the limit his mistakes as much as possible, sort of like the Baltimore Ravens mold from two years ago and just really, 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 you know, shove volume uh, Alvin Kamara's way. I'll I'll throw another name out there. Uh, What about Traylon Burks here? Um, I think that would be a player that would more suit Jameis Winston's uh, canon, right? And I think now I agree with you guys that Michael Thomas is being severely underrated. I think I've brought him up in halftime. I've been trying to get him everywhere. Um, But I think those two wide receivers paired with Jameis Winston would be, well, I I don't know, might might help him with those interception issues, seeing how they can jump up and get those 50-50 balls. Um, I feel like I see Olave mocked pretty much every time I look at a mock draft uh, going to going to the Saints and you know I I think that's a great spot for him too so like like Tarek said it's in the bank that they're going to take one so uh, it's just kind of a matter of which guy they're going to take but I like the Saints too as a as a place Jameis has shown that he can uh, have top five top ten wide receivers uh, two at the same time sometimes so Right. Yeah. I said it was kind of locked in. I think if Olave is available and maybe they like Burks, right? I I disagree with you a little bit. And I think Burks and Michael Thomas may be a little bit redundant. And I also think that Burks, at least at this point, is seen as more of a close to the line of scrimmage gadgety guy than a downfield weapon. Although I think he can certainly develop into that a la AJ Brown. But, um, you know, I also I think it's important to say, like, there's plenty of scenarios that could play out tomorrow where uh, the Chargers draft Olave right in front of them or something. They like take an offensive lineman, which they're going to need with the departure of Teron Armstead. Right. So there's scenarios where it doesn't work out. Right. Uh, They also have pick 49, I believe. So they could take a receiver in there. But yeah, New Orleans. So uh, Trey. Give us another receiver landing spot that you either like or you dislike. Yeah. So the one that's interesting to me is uh, is the Cleveland Browns. And, uh, you know, this is another super run heavy system. And yeah, they did add Deshaun Watson, but obviously it's still a huge question of how much we're actually going to see of him this year. The, the thing that has opened up a lot of opportunity in Cleveland is the fact that they haven't re-signed Jarvis Landry yet, who actually is reportedly choosing between the Saints or returning to the Browns. Now, what the Browns did do is they brought in Amari Cooper and his 19% target share from Dallas. So I really I really think Amari Cooper is overvalued right now. I think people are seeing Deshaun Watson and Amari Cooper and projecting him to be something that he's not when we already know that he's a 19% target share guy with a pretty good quarterback in Dallas too. Dak Prescott's no slouch. So it, what Cleveland is doing in this draft is they've got the second round pick. They've got pick number 44. And then they have two kind of later thirds. They have picks 78 and 99. So, I mean, here's the thing with Cleveland. I just think they've got a lot of needs on that team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I see them not necessarily using that second round pick on a receiver. And I think we should probably expect them to re-sign Landry or a free agent like Fuller. And then that to me points to 
they're probably a really strong third round candidate for a wide receiver, like a guy like David Bell or Wandale Robinson. And then that to me is an interesting landing spot for those kind of rookies because then they'd get to develop in what we expect to be a pretty good offense with a pretty good quarterback. That's another landing spot in the third round or even potentially with that second round pick. I've I've seen a good amount of Jalen Tolbert yeah. uh, in mock drafts as well. Um, yeah, I think Cleveland is interesting. Obviously, the massive quarterback upgrade of the offseason. Um, the other, you know, obvious landing spot I was going to mention is Green Bay. You know, they have a Devonte Adams sized hole there. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and Marquez Valdez Scantling left. Um, so they have two first round picks, uh, probably going to draft somebody. I, I'll, I'll just talk about uh, two places that I like wouldn't necessarily like, and that's the Minnesota Vikings and the Buffalo Bills. And that's really only because like I want Justin Jefferson to continue to have like the historic air yards and um, target share that he has. So the weighted opportunity share that warp rating um, he he his command of that offense is so elite that even though like Minnesota could use another receiver, I don't want it to happen. And then with Buffalo, like they've been adding slowly slot weapons like uh jamison crowder they re-signed isaiah mckenzie and i you know i like gabe davis i want him to get (laughs) a shot at that z position so if they added a george pickens or something like that uh, that would just blow gabe davis out of the water yeah oh definitely i think gabe davis is toast but i think he might be safe because they're probably going running back like everybody's gonna mock but we're not there yet So uh, (laughs) let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons instead. Uh, That is where I really would like to see a wide receiver land, but not because of that uh, quarterback they got in Marcus Mariota. Uh, It's more like uh, chasing some serious volume here. When you look at their team right now, you got Cordero Patterson, a wide receiver running back and, you know, all around hero. You got Mike Davis is still there. Damian Williams is at running back. You guys excited yet? Not really. Uh, they got Auden Tate, Frank Darby, uh, Demir Birds there now. It, anyway, uh, so you didn't even say you didn't even say Olamide Zacchaeus, who I believe is on the top of their depth chart right now. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even going to try to pronounce that. Uh, not there yet. Uh, so the Falcons have pick eight. They got forty three and they got fifty eight. So you know, like as Tark has mentioned before, at TLG here, we don't really mind that second round draft cap. So. They got a lot of stabs here at the Apple. And, uh, you know, if they go for a second round wide receiver, I might be interested in that. The thing with Atlanta is it kind of reminds me of Detroit from a year ago. You know, this is a team that's got holes like all over the roster, you know. So if they want to get a weapon that falls to them, then, you know, go for it. But, you know, no matter what, they're not really going to be competitive this year. Also, I don't think there's any way Atlanta gets out of this draft without a quarterback. Like, I think that's a lock in the first round. Yeah, I I was going to say, I think at eight, there's been a lot of talk about Desmond Ritter, about like Malik, Malik Willis. Willis. That Who knows? Cool. Like, I, I think it's possible. I also think it's fully possible that they go Drake London or or Garrett Wilson or Jamison Williams at number eight. So like we said, we have no idea how this this <laughs> draft is going to shake out. What I w- what I will say, we everybody thinks that the New Jersey Jets are going to take a receiver with Elijah Moore, just remember the T. Higgins corollary, right? Once they draft a top 10 receiver, if you see any discount on Elijah Moore, buy. 
because oh, that guy is yes. good. All right. I, yeah, we we spent a solid like 30 minutes on that wide receiver class so, <laughs> or that wide receiver landing spot. So obviously we're going to move a little bit uh, faster here, but, you know, stretching our legs. Let's move on to the tight end position. Uh, this class is it's kind of like last year's, but there's no Kyle Pitts. And the guy at the top is like a way worse version of Pat. So it's nothing like last year. <laughs> exactly right. So there, there are some intriguing. Wait, names. hang on. Did you just say McBride is a way worse Friar? He's a worse version of oh, Pat. Fryer. Dude, I don't That's know. What I'm, they're they're similar. Look, there's there's intriguing names with athletic upside. When we did the tight end preview on this show, I definitely disparaged the tight end class way more than I should. I've risen on guys like Greg Dulcich. Uh, like uh, guys like Jelani Woods and the last couple of weeks. So I'll just say that top three need uh, of tight end, according to PFF, these teams, Denver, Green Bay, who we talked about in the open rumored to be interested in Waller, Indianapolis and the New York Giants. Trey, what's a what's a tight end landing spot you'd like to see? Yeah, the one that really sticks out to me in that list is Indianapolis. And you look at the tight ends on the roster right now. The only two that are really relevant at all are Mo Alley Cox and Kylan Granson. And both of those guys are like wide receiver four, or excuse me, tight end 40 or later on keep trade cut. Now, I think they both should be on rosters. You know, like there's no guarantee that like a rookie tight end comes in and makes either of these dudes obsolete, but like they're going to be dart throws either way, you know? Now, the thing is, is like this is another very competitive roster, right? They brought in Matt Ryan who is a guy who's traditionally supported tight ends for fantasy like throughout his career. And then they still have Frank Reich at head coach. And we know that he likes using a system that has one or more tight ends on the field any given down, right? So Indianapolis picks uh, in round two at 42nd overall and round three at 73 overall. Uh, yeah, they've got a lot of other needs besides tight end, but I could see them thinking tight end maybe round three. Now, somebody who's going to be like able to get on the field immediately as like more of a run blocker would probably be like a Jeremy Ruckert or a Cade Otten type. But like you mentioned, Greg Dulcich or like Charlie Kolar, like more of the pass catchers, that would be very interesting to me as like a third or even a second round pick to Indy. Yeah, I, I obviously Trey McBride, I don't think he's going to be there in no. the third. So yeah, if if they go the pass catcher route there in the third, I agree that would be really interesting. Uh, a landing spot that I didn't mention, it's not on PFF's list of uh, top three needs, but the Bengals, uh, they signed Hayden Hurst this offseason, um, who I think is fine. Like he'll probably if they don't draft a tight end, he will probably be a popular late round in redraft dart throw Hayden Hurst for the Bengals. But um, I, I just I, I would be really excited to see like an athletic tight end with some upside like a Dulcich or a Woods go to the Bengals, join that really high powered offense, both for the offensive infrastructure of just like making that offense even better than it already was, but also because like CJ Uzama held utility, right? So I think there is a little bit of opportunity there, right? I'm not going to just chart. I, I wouldn't just chart that tight end for those vacation targets but <laughs> there is some vacated opportunity there that could be taken advantage of with the right tight end that could develop into that system uh so the Bengals is is is, is a landing spot that i'd be looking for if they draft somebody in round three or round four yeah all right guys well you know my feelings on 
drafting rookie tight ends. And if you don't at home, I don't like doing it. Um, I don't really like this draft class either. I like Trey McBride, but that's about it for me. So landing spot is going to heavily dictate where I am investing, if I'm investing at all, which is why I chose the Chargers for this exercise. Uh, Gerald Everett went there, and I like that. Um, but I would like to see them invest more in a pass-catching tight end. Uh, they got Trey McKitty there for blocking, and uh, Parham, uh, you know, he, he kind of does a little of both. But Yeah, Donald Parham, six foot seven, more of a developmental guy. Right, and so, like, again, I'm just, I'm not super excited, and if uh, Chiefs are another good example here, like Noah Gray. Like, I mean, who cares? So if they were to draft some a pass catching tight end with upside, that's gonna I'm gonna pay a little bit more attention. But like, really, I think it comes down to me where Trey McBride goes, and if that is a favorable situation, like Denver, Green Bay, Indy, or the Giants. Um, yeah, the the Titans also have holes at tight end, but I don't think any of these like tight ends fill these holes. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Cowboys, they could also use a tight end. I mean, Dalton Schultz is good, um, but I, I think they need to invest a little bit more at the position. The other team I'll bring up really quick here is Tampa Bay because we still don't know if Rob Gronkowski is coming back. I think I am ranking him as if he is. I think he's currently my tight end 16, so I think he's going to come back, but I think there's a distinct possibility that he doesn't. Uh, and if they've got the indication that he's leaning retirement and they go ahead and draft Trey McBride, that would right? Be cool. Because this yeah. this is a team that they their window is like a year, two years, right? They are making 100% luxury picks right now to bolster their chances to win another championship. So I don't I think they could draft anybody, right? They could draft Brees Hall, they could draft Trey McBride if they think it's going to help them win immediately mm-hmm. right so i think trey mcbride could be that pick tampa bay if gronk retires is is interesting to me quick on that uh remember when you guys said that uh mcbride wouldn't be up there in the uh the top of the second round in a rookie drafts well i bet you he creeps up there if uh if gronkowski retires and the bucks pick him up and i will not be drafting trey mcbride early <laughs> second if that's the case but mike check it is halftime. Okay, so today is obviously the day before the NFL draft when we're recording. So we are going to talk about the NFL draft in halftime. Each of us picked a prop bet that we like for the NFL draft. And I'll go ahead and get us started. The prop bet that I would put some money down on is Matt Corral under 34 and a half draft position, right? So I think he's going to go earlier than pick 35. The NFL invited Mike Corral to the draft and he will be attending. So, you know, obviously there is a chance that he sits in the green room all night like an idiot and he doesn't get his card pulled. But I don't think it makes sense to me. Like if enough teams told the NFL that he was worth inviting that his line would be early second round, right? I think it would it should hedge a little bit more late first. And I am kind of a corral truther, so maybe this is a bit of wish casting on my part, but I think at least one team is going to agree with my Matt Corral truthism in the first round here. So give me Matt Corral 
under 34 and a half. I, th- I think that's reasonably safe. Oh, speaking of safe, I found some free money, guys. Uh, <laughs> this is through FanDuel Sportsbook here. Uh, Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett to be a top 10 pick, minus 200. Just put all your money on it. One, like one, one of those guys is going to be a top 10 pick. It's, it's free money. So I found one that's a little harder. Uh, I'm going to go with Drake London, pick 10 overall, plus 600. Put 20 bucks on there and win 120 bucks when the Jets YOLO Drake London drizzy to New Jersey. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, it It's possible that, you know, Willis and Pickett do fall out of the top 10, but I would bet at, you know, minus 200. That's that's probably a good bet. Yeah, for sure. Trey, what is your prop bet? So for me, I'll take the over under on the number of wide receivers in the first round. So I found that over under set at six and a half. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to go with the under on that. And, uh, oh. so I think the big five goes right. And that's, um, you know, the guys we've talked about already, it's London, Wilson, Burks, Williams, and Alave, but I don't see one more out of that next tier going in the first round, more than one more out of that next tier going in the first round. So, you know, there's guys names that have been kind of mocked there to the different teams that we've already talked about Pickens, Moore, Dotson. Even Christian Watson potentially being into the first round picks. I, I I'm gonna say six is the magic number here. So give me the under on six and a half. There's actually an article up right now on Football Outsiders uh on these NFL draft props. So I'll retweet that. But they point out that since 2010, the most wide receivers drafted in the first round in any year was in fact six. So yeah, it was six in 2020 and five in 2021. And I do think this class is deeper than last year's, but I just don't see any more than six total going uh, Thursday night. Bold move, Cotton. Yeah, you have to go all the way back to 2004 uh, to get seven wide receivers drafted in the first round. So history is not on our side here. I mean, what we talked about earlier is that there's a lot of teams that need him. Um, so I, I think it's possible. Like, it's obviously what what the sports books are telling us is that it's more possible than ever. Uh, that seven wide receivers could go. But uh, yeah, I tend to agree with you here. My perspective is that the top five are going to go for sure. And then it comes down to Christian Watson and Josh Dotson. I think personally that George Pickens and Sky Moore, I'm I'm like pretty confident that they're going to fall into the second round. Pickens has gotten some negative steam the last couple of weeks. You know, Sky Moore, I've, I've seen him mocked in the first round, but I I, I think it's really going to come down to Dotson and Watson. So in my opinion, everything has to go right for you to hit that seven. So right. I would probably take the under as well. I think it's going to be at six. I think, Trey, you should start doing the coin toss because that's what this bet sounds like, man. It sounds like flip a coin, whether it's going to be <laughs> six or seven taken. It's pretty even. <laughs> it's pretty close for sure. All right, so me and Trey are taking six. Mitch, are you going with the over? I'm taking 69. Yeah, I'm taking the over. <laughs> okay. It's definitely more All fun right. for Dynasty if the over ha- Yeah, hits. we're fantasy guys. Yeah. Let's fantasize. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And and really, maybe it'll be a push, and either Calvin Austin yeah, or Wondell, Wondell Robinson mm, yeah. Yeah, will be drafted at the end of the That push. would be a curveball. All right, let's kick off this second half where we're going to talk landing spots for running backs and quarterbacks. 
beginning with the running backs. So our consensus opinion about this running back class, as we've talked about, is that it's kind of not overall as impressive as the last few classes, at least on the top end, but probably just as deep, if not even deeper, right? I I think what I've heard is that this class is 40% bigger than a normal class because so many, (laughs) uh, uh, so many people did, uh, took that extra year of eligibility from COVID, right? But the bigger issue other than the class, I think itself is that the market for teams that need a running back is just really bad, right? There's not a lot of teams who really need a running back. And I also think that the NFL, I think they're starting to catch up with what like fantasy players have been saying for like a decade. And that's (laughs) that investing highly in the running back position is not a super optimal allocation of resources, but Teams with a clear need at the position, I think, is Atlanta and Houston. And then teams that could justify a pick, Buffalo, Dallas, Tennessee, Arizona, uh, New Jersey, Jets, and New York Giants. I I think a lot of teams are going to end up drafting their backup running back in this draft. They're going to draft their Khalil Herbert later in the Mm -hmm. draft. So. We'll see what happens. Trey, what's a landing spot you want to talk about for running backs? Yeah, I I completely agree with you. There's definitely not a lot of teams that really, really need uh, a new running back here. But I definitely think Buffalo could absolutely upgrade from Devin Singletary, who right now is down to running back 39 on keep trade cut. So it's interesting because it seems like in this case, the market has basically already penciled in a running back being drafted to Buffalo. And Singletary's kind of been uh, turfed in value. So that's that kind of stuck out to me. And But to your point, I think of teams that aren't going to pick a guy in the first round, like I think Buffalo is one of those smarter organizations mm-hmm. now. Like I really right, right. I don't, I don't want to give any NFL team this much credit, but I don't think they'll go round one for running back. So they do have uh, pick 57 in the second round and then pick 89 in the third. Both of those are late. So that would put them more in the running for somebody like Kenneth Walker or Isaiah Spiller or any of James those, Cook. any of those James secondary Cook, guys. Yeah. yeah, potentially. Right. I'm telling you, I, I got a feeling about James Cook to Buffalo. They wanted J.D. McKissick. Yeah, that's that's James yeah. Cook, man. <laughs> James Cook would be freaking incredible there. Yeah, I mean, I, that would definitely justify John's ranking of James Cook at running back four in this class. I mean, I at his, he would probably creep up into the late first if he went to Buffalo in the second round. Or remember, like I said last week, James Cook has gotten seven top 30 visits, so he's going to go on day two. Yeah, but the other one that really would make me excited would be Jerome Ford. You know, that's Ooh, your dude. dude you've been talking about. I could definitely see him going in the third to Buffalo, and that would be a lot of talent at the running back position. I think I would like him in Buffalo more than James Cook. Trey, you got you got me with my O face. Yeah, on. sure did. Jerome Ford in Buffalo. <laughs> well, uh, do you think do you guys think that Singletary is a buy if he's really nuked that low? And like you just Probably. said, like they're if they if they don't replace him with Brees Hall. If they if they add any other running back, I don't think I'm that upset about it. I've been saying Singletary's a buy for a while. I still think he's a buy personally. If they add a Jerome Ford or a Tyler Algier or somebody who has like dynasty truthers behind them, uh, but they do it like in the fourth or fifth round, 
I think I agree with you. I think Devin Singletary would actually see a dip enough to where I'd consider him a buy. Yeah. I actually don't know what his value is right now. You just said no, it's, it's running back 39, guys. So 39. Yeah. So yeah that's, no, that's that's a buy. That's a value. That's yeah. very low. Yeah, he, and, and if they did draft a running back on day two, then he would be even more of a buy. So absolutely. yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a little bit of uh, actionable advice for the listener there. There we go. Some actionable advice. You're you, welcome. You'd love to see it. Uh, so... What I will say with running backs is like I've heard a lot of talk about how, you know, the teams with the most volume available are really bad situations. And that's Atlanta and Houston. And I'm just here to say, like, I am not scared of those bad situations. Like volume is king in fantasy football. And if you've got a high pedigreed guy like Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker or Isaiah Spiller, in round two, right, if if they take the plunge on Isaiah Spiller in round two, I'm going to like the landing spot of Atlanta and Houston because they're going to get work there, right? Like Marlon Mack, he, he's probably a little bit undervalued right now, but you're not going to be worried about Marlon Mack. You're not going to be worried about Mike Davis, like coming in and taking work away from a Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker, right? So I, I would I would love to see an like an early day three guy go to Tampa Bay. We already talked about Jerome Ford uh, or Rashad White. Um, we haven't talked about Rashad White, but I would like to see a day three guy go to Tampa Bay. Um, but at the same time, I would be a little bit sad to see like a Brees or a Kenneth Walker go yeah. to Tampa Bay because that would just murder Leonard Fournette. I would be so sad. I love me some Leonard Fournette. You know, one thing that I thought of when you brought up Atlanta, though, if Atlanta were to go Brees Hall or one of the big, or I guess Kenneth Walker, one of those two, do you think that people would freak out about Cordero Patterson losing touches? Because I think his like rushing touches are kind of just, you know, baked in. I think he's getting those four to six touches on the on the ground a game. But I think uh, if they see like that workload running back come in there, then Cordero might take a dip, too. That's possible. I'm a little bit more concerned about Cordero Patterson, like in the macro sense than the market is just because of what we saw down the stretch in 2021. Mm -hmm. Like Cordero Patterson was a locked and loaded low end RB one high end RB two because of those manufactured touches like you were talking about, not only in the rushing, but also in the receiving game. Whereas down the stretch, he just wasn't being manufactured those touches. He wasn't getting the same kind of snap share. It just kind of seemed like Arthur Smith, for some reason, kind of put the bubble wrap on him. And for me, I, I only really see two guys that look like workhorse material in this draft, and it's it's Hall and Walker, right? So if it's any of the other guys in this running back class going to Atlanta, I think your Patterson shares are safe. But yeah, I mean, you don't draft Kenneth Walker, you know, not to feed him the rock. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's a guy who I think Arthur Smith could really like because he's got a lot of really, really great rushing ability. What, what about like Brian Robinson in the third, right? What if a Brian Robinson uh, or, you know, a Zamir White, like one of those guys that is that the mock draft in the NFL community seems to be higher on than the dynasty community. What if Atlanta or Houston takes the plunge on one of those guys in like the third round? Yeah, I'm focusing more on Atlanta than than Houston just because Houston seems like it's already such a mess with the running backs that they've got on the roster. But I, I like Brian Robinson. Like I, I think he's 
got a role to play in an NFL offense as a two down guy. You know, he's going to be the hammer. He's going to be, you know, getting goal line carries, probably red zone carries, you know? So I think he he had a lot of receptions in 2021 at Alabama too. So I don't think that's out of the question. It's right. Exactly. So like if, if uh, the opportunity presented itself for him to step into a, you know, a temporary full-time role, I think he could do it, but I don't think he's the guy that you build an offense around in like the Dalvin cook or the Derrick Henry sense. Well, speaking speaking of Derrick Henry, I wanted to flag the the Titans as a team that I would like to see go running back as well, uh, because the offense goes through Henry, uh, and Tannehill is at his best when his running game is functioning and he can utilize the play action and move around in the pocket. So, if the Titans were to uh, like draft a backup running back like a Brian Robinson or like a Zamir White somebody like that that can play the same style of offense as Derrick Henry, then I feel like Tannehill doesn't have to change it up. Because what the Titans' fatal flaws with their backup running backs have been, have been trying to like do this thunder and lightning thing. Like Jeremy McNichols, Darrington Evans, Dontrell Hilliard. Like dudes that compliment Henry, but dudes that can't take over the Henry role when or if he goes down. And the Titans got supremely lucky having a guy like Deontay Foreman last year. So I think they know that they lost him in free agency. And honestly, the Titans is like a really logical destination for a running back earlier in the in the draft. Yeah. Even if they draft like a round four round five guy that we like their profile. Right. That's that's the kind of stab that you want to take in the third round or the fourth round of your rookie drafts. Right. Like if the Titans took a shot on Keontae Ingram or they took a shot on Tyler Algier or something. Obviously, they're going to be handcuffs, right? right? They're walking in as backups, but that's exactly what you want to allocate your third round rookie pick draft resource towards. So I really like the Titans as a as a landing spot as well. I got I got one more quick one The the Chiefs were actually the first one on my list here. Um, And I, I okay, we talked about how they have two back to back first round picks. And, you know, they they did this once before with Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and maybe there's no way. Maybe Mitch, may- there's no, no come way. Come on, let me do it. I, I think they could re-roll these dice on somebody if a Brees Hall is still hanging out, and at the end of the round, there. Think about it, man. The Chiefs need to address that Tyreek-sized hole that we just can't stop talking about, right? You know what? Maybe hand the ball off every once in a while to somebody competent, and that's not Clyde edwards Elaire. Oh, they didn't. So you're saying you're not a Ronald Jones believer? That one year, one point five million dollar backup salary? Nah, man, I'm good on that too. Yeah. All right. Yeah, maybe if they let Patrick Mahomes make the pick again, like they did with Clyde edwards Alaire. But yeah, we'll see. All right. So the the last position we're going to talk about here in terms of landing spots is the quarterback position. Last year in 2021, we had a big five in Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. All of those guys were pretty much locked in first round super flex picks. Sometimes Mac Jones would fall to like 201, 202, but that was a dumb thing that should have never happened. This year, we have a much more limp, uh, flaccid five in Malik Willis, (laughs) Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter and Matt, uh, what Sam, what's his first name? Sam Howell. (laughs) I was going to call him Matt Howell. Matt Howell. Good enough. (laughs) It's, it's, this is probably the most wide open in terms of like predicted landing spot for quarterbacks that we've seen since that Mahomes Watson Trubisky draft. 
Like we truly have very little idea where these guys are going, but let's explore some landing spots. So Trey, give us a landing spot that you're thinking about with this quarterback position. Yeah. So I already mentioned Atlanta and I think they're a lock to get a quarterback this draft. I also think Pittsburgh is a lock to get a a quarterback. So if you look at this Pittsburgh team, they are very capable of making the playoffs again. If you ignore the quarterback position entirely, right? They've got a great defense and they've got some really, really good offensive weapons for them to, you know, just go into a full season with only Mitch Trubisky on the roster. And look, I mean, Trubisky right now is valued at quarterback 34, which is like a future second, which is much too high. I hope nobody is out there actually paying that price for, uh, for Titty boy, but Look, I, I'll bet on Trubisky starting the year as like the week one quarterback, but I don't think he's going to start a whole season. So I, whoever they draft at quarterback in the first round, I think is going to get playing time in year one Agreed. in a, in a good system in a team that very well could sneak into the the wild card spot. So I mean, maybe you, you hang on to Trubisky until the season starts to sell him, but I think it's very, very likely either Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter is suiting up in the black and yellow. I like it. I think Pittsburgh is the one team. Well, like what Adam Schefter tweeted earlier this week is that there is like no movement on teams that want to trade up. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. It's all teams calling about trading back. And everybody knows that this quarterback class is weak. So there's not a lot of incentive. It's weak and it's flat. Right. So I, but I do think all the smoke is that Mike Tomlin and the Steelers and the Steelers really like Malik Willis. So I think you could see them actually trade up, uh, you know, into the top ten, into the top fifteen to nab Malik Willis, and that would be really fun because it's it is a as much I think I know Mitch is a big Steelers hater. I as a Cowboys fan, very much anti Pittsburgh Steelers as a team. But it is a good organization, man, and they they can develop players. And if Malik Willis goes there, I'm going to be extremely excited. Like, I, I think he would probably be my 101 in Superflex if that happened. I don't think he's going to be around after the top 10, though. Uh, I, and I could trade up. That's what I'm saying. I'm not a Steelers hater. They just beat the shit out of the Titans every time they play them, and their fans suck. But unless you're <laughs> listening to our podcast, in which case, never mind. We love you. I'll uh, say this. The, the fans <laughs> of every team pretty much suck. So oh, yeah. You're, you're all awful out there. Yeah. The, the cow... Two two out of the three of us are Cowboys fans. I don't think we have any Ugh. any room to talk. <laughs> we hate we hate our own fans. So despicable. <laughs> but yeah, Pitts, Pittsburgh is great. Mitch, what's what's a landing spot you're looking out for quarterback? I'm looking at the Seahawks. Man, they can't trot out Drew Luck. Drew Luck. Drew Luck and be taken oh, seriously. He wishes he was Drew Luck. Yeah, right. Uh, they could draft Malik Willis. They pick at nine. And, you know, it's right after they got rid of Russell Wilson. They still have good wide receivers on that team. They still have uh, the running game. They still have Carson there, and they re-signed Penny for a year. So Malik Willis uh, would actually make some sense to me. Like, we, we've all heard about Pete Carroll and how much he hates the idea of rebuilding. Well, honestly, Malik Willis, you could plug him into that offense, and maybe he could just kind of pick up where uh, Russell Wilson left off. I actually don't hate the Panthers at six. And my sleeper team, though, is the uh, is Washington, whatever that football team is. Um, 
I think it's a low-key good place to land. And, uh, you know, it's a young offense to grow into. Wentz will eventually explode and rupture his body. And, <laughs> you know, say they draft a wide receiver early and then uh, trade back in to grab their quarterback like Pickett or like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think Malik's going to fall. So let's leave him out of that. But, I mean, they could take him at 11-2. So uh, Washington, not bad. Yeah, the, the Malik Willis to Seattle projection is really interesting because, you know, obviously that's a, a super athletic quarterback. He can do things with his legs like we saw Russell Wilson doing with his legs very, very early on in his career, but in a different way, right? Like, you know, being more of an aggressive rushing option than, you know, a scrambler like Wilson was. But I don't think he's got the same quarterback decision making and ability to like you know place the ball where it needs to be that like made Russell Wilson a top you know 10 quarterback and Super Bowl winner so that that part of the game would absolutely take time to develop for Malik Willis but yeah I mean he could certainly hand the ball off to Rashad Penny you know and Pete Carroll loves running the damn ball so uh, you know, he could pull a uh, Harbaugh and, I don't know, structure the offense around Malik Willis. Yeah, I don't I don't know if Pete Carroll's teams are extremely creative, but I, I like I, I also heard recently that the Seahawks have had a lot of conversations with Desmond Ritter. Um, there's been a lot of touch points with Ritter. Uh, so that's not only at that nine spot if Ritter kind of falls into the early second mm-hmm. where the Seahawks are also picking. That's a possibility. Um, yeah, I mean, they have an obvious need. I- I'll just say that my favorite quarterback landing spot, and it's actually one of my favorite receiver landing spots that I didn't talk about, but it's Detroit. And that's just because Detroit has a really underrated offensive infrastructure in place, right? We've we've sung Dan Campbell's praises a few times o- over this offseason, like half tongue in cheek. But I do think like he's he's building an in, a good culture there. Right. DJ Chark talked about part of the reason why he left Jacksonville to go to Detroit is because he liked the culture uh, that they were building there. They have a really, really good like top 10 offensive line right. after drafting Pene Sewell last year. They've also got Rag now, so it's a really strong offensive line. They've got good weapons uh, kind of outside of the receiver position with um, DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson, but also Amon Ross St. Brown at the receiver position played really well right? DJ Chark can stretch the field, right? If they add a George Pickens or a Sky Moore or something like that, that could be another really great weapon for an incoming quarterback. So whether that is at pick two, which I think it's highly unlikely that they go Malik Willis at pick two, um, but it could happen, right? It's a quarterback. People love quarterbacks or at pick 32, right? They have the final pick. They also have pick 34. I think that'd be a landing spot where if Sam Howell went at 32 or 34, I'd be really excited, even though I forgot his first name earlier. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it does make sense for them to retool that defensive line with the second pick overall. And then, yeah, and then late first, uh, you know, or early second, getting that quarterback, whether it's uh, Coral or or Ritter, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's big holes in that defense, but if you get you know, one of the top edge rushers in this draft and a, a project development or uh, developmental quarterback. I think that gives them a lot of options to, you know, restock uh, through the rest of the draft weekend. 
Yeah, Jared Goff is shitting his pants right now because there's no way that the Lions are not taking a quarterback with one of those first three picks that they have. Uh, pick two, pick, what'd you say, 32 and 34? Yeah. Like, I find it really difficult to believe that they would not take a quarterback with one of those. I would love it if they took Malik Willis at two. I think that would be, oh, that'd be, that'd great. be so much yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I would be rooting for the Lions even more. 101 in Superflex if that happened, and for sure. I, I mean, I know, Mitch, you picked Malik Willis 101, so you don't disagree with me, but there's a couple of spots where if Malik Willis went, he'd be my 101. And it's like, look, yeah, we, we, we're we not huge Jared Goff fans on this podcast by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a functional quarterback that can start in the NFL. And I think what that gives is the opportunity for a quarterback to like Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter or Matt Corral to come in and sit for, you know, eight games Mm -hmm. and learn and kind of ease into the offense and then, you know, get an opportunity when, you know, rather than just kind of being thrown into the fire immediately. And with that offensive infrastructure that I talked about, that's going to give that rookie quarterback time to operate. Uh, I'd be really excited about Detroit. I'm, I'm kind of this off season. One of my really good friends, Matt Smith, uh, if you're listening, he's a big Detroit fan. So this off season, I've kind of become a weird Detroit Lions fan, which is not something I thought I'd ever say. But hey, <laughs> I think it makes sense, man. There's there's a lot of opportunity there for them to build something. And uh, you're right. Goff is uh, is certainly replacement level. Yeah. I, with the Panthers, I've I've kind of been hearing recently that it's less and less likely that they spend that number six pick on a quarterback, right? I think they've been they've been trying to trade back. If they drafted a quarterback, that would be a situation in which I'd, I'd be not very excited just because I have very little confidence in their ability to develop right now. Not I, I, I've talked about how, like, I think Matt Rule has gotten a little bit more shit talked on him than he maybe deserves. But with the quarterback position, they've just like they've been flailing for three years now. Right. So it, there's not I don't necessarily have much confidence that they would be able to develop a, a quarterback coming in. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I think at six, they could go pick it. They could go Willis. But uh, I. I think they're kind of targeting trading back or maybe an offensive lineman there. I don't know if they realize this, but like Sam Darnold is their starting quarterback and they need to fix that, man. (laughs) Yeah, to me, it seems like it's going to be Garoppolo or uh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah, although what that profile, what that signals to me is just like another swing and a miss that they're going to take. Yeah, so yeah, set them up for 2023. It'll probably be enough to where they won't be in position to draft CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, right? Like they'll have like the ninth (laughs) or 10th pick and they'll just continue to get fucked like year after year. Uh, No love for the Panthers on this podcast, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fuck the Panthers. All right. Well, on that uh, extremely negative note, (laughs) we're going to end Episode 53 of the Long Game Podcast talked about landing spots. I'm so excited for next week's podcast when we get to end the motherfucking speculation and just talk about what actually happened and, and start planning for Amen. our rookie drafts. Then startup season. Exactly. We'll talk to y'all next week. Peace out. Peace. All right. Later, guys. No, I ain't